I just wish very early on, someone would have asked me, what do you need your money to do for you? A real investor is going to just look for the numbers and do they work? They care less on the inside. They care more about the numbers. If you can't take an emotion, you probably shouldn't be investing. You need to speak with an experienced agent in investing who also is going to challenge you and maybe even make you feel a little uncomfortable about what is the plan with your money? I feel like that's what a lot of people see. They see the dollar signs, but they don't see the work behind the dollar signs. So welcome to the Urban Connect podcast. I'm Jennifer Archambeau, the broker owner of Urban Provision Realtors, and I'm thrilled to have you tuning in today. If you're here, chances are you're a prospective buyer, seller, or homeowner searching for clarity on the ever-changing real estate landscape here in Texas, and you've come to the right place. In each episode, we'll discuss a myriad of topics, providing you with the knowledge and tools to navigate the complex realm of real estate, from insider tips on how to prepare your home for a successful sale, to insights on the latest market trends, and everything in between. I've got you covered. So sit back, relax, get ready to take your real estate knowledge to the next level with the Urban Connect podcast. The desire to own real estate is frequently intertwined with the American dream. Yet it is astonishing that only a fraction of Texans venture beyond owning their primary residence, further exploring investment opportunities in the world of real estate. In this four-part episode series, we will dive into the complexities of buying real estate, whether for long-term investment, short-term rental, retirement, or second home. These conversations within each episode will shed valuable insights and lend professional guidance, empowering those considering the real estate purchase beyond their primary residence to mitigate significant financial losses and avoid chaos throughout their real estate journey. I welcome you to the last episode within this four-part episode series on investing in real estate. In this final episode, we will be speaking with a realtor who happens to be a seasoned investor who will share her insights and the mistakes that she's made, the lessons she's learned, and the challenges she's faced along the way. Whether you're just getting started in real estate investing or you're a seasoned pro, this episode is sure to provide you with the valuable information. And this brings me to introducing today's guest. Diller Schwartz is a realtor with Keller Williams Realty in Austin, Texas, and is at the helm of the Diller Group real estate team. Her determination to surpass client expectations is underpinned by her integrity, expertise, and unwavering determination. Residing in Austin for two, the last two decades has afforded Diller to steadily broaden and enrich her understanding of real estate, investment strategies, wealth cultivation, and amassing a varied investment portfolio along the way. So Diller, it's my pleasure to host you as my guest today on Urban Connect. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good today. When I reached out to you about this episode, I... I said, hey, I've got the series and we're talking about investing in taxes and mistakes and why do it? Why not? Like the complexities. And you were like, yeah, <laughs> let's do it. Absolutely. Let's do it. What can I share with you today? Okay. Let's talk about first how one kind of gets started with investing because, you know, you and I both know as, as realtors, there's a perception and there's a reality. So, Let's talk about perception first and then reality. So what do most people think or what did you think when you started investing in real estate? And then what was your reality on how you should get started? So my 
perception was you just buy a house. And and my perception came from, I was already working in a real estate office. So this was around me. And most of the transactions that were going on were either, like you said, you know, people buying their homestead and or investing. And, and, and all you really hear is, I want an investment property. And what happens is you don't hear the next, it, it's like the onion, right? You got to peel the layers back. And um, the environment that I was in, because I was a director of ops, I wasn't really like face face to face with a lot of the clients. I just heard we have a lot of investors and they're buying houses. And if I could go back, I probably, I don't know, this is a double-edged sword. I think one of the good things was I didn't know as much. So I just ripped the bandaid off and took the risk. Mm -hmm. However, the flip side of that is I didn't know the layers behind it of like, you know, what is the return that I want? What is a realistic return? And then Maybe there's not a great return in every market. However, what was my three, five, you know, seven, 10 year goal with the allotted money that I had? And so my perception was buy a house, somebody else is paying for it. It was really basic. However, so many people were doing it. And the, the, the few simple things that I did know, and I mean, this was back, I think I was 23, 24, roughly when I, I did the first transaction. What I knew was the money in the bank wasn't doing what I wanted it to do and what I was mm-hmm. hearing around. And I didn't have a, a very high level understanding of how money works. Real estate just seemed a lot easier to understand than the stock market um, and some of the other things that were going on when I was 23 years old. That seems like the, the majority of consumers' perception is you come to the table, you just buy, you own you know, you take out a mortgage, you pay cash, whatever. But like you said, there's so many layers that go deeper into it. And you mentioned, you know, return on your investment, your, you know, what's your goals? Because the return on investment for some people can be very minor if the goal is just to hold it and let someone pay it off, right? Versus for someone that has, you know, wants to, you know, profit X amount of dollars a month so they can, you know, build their account again, start the process over. So, you know, I'm glad that you started with that because I feel like that's kind of the, f- the first misstep a lot of people make along the way is not knowing why they're investing. The first investment property that I bought was my greatest mistake <laughs> because now I have, I don't know, about five dollars $600,000 equity in it and I've paid a handful of the mortgage payments. I've been able to do Airbnb, um, VRBO. I've also had long-term tenants in there. At one point, I was able to have my mom live in the house. So I've had a lot of options with it. And then now I can lend against it, borrow against it. So I just wish very early on, someone would have asked me, what do you need your money to do for you? Mm-hmm. So let's let's do the spin on, okay, if let's say I'm I'm the the buyer, I'm the one to be the investor, I want to start investing in real estate. Should I just use any realtor? Or should I is there a specific realtor I should be targeting to help me find and buy that really understands it? I think if you're going to buy a home as an investment property and you have a specific need for the return on that money. So let's just say you're planning ahead and your kid is going to college in five to six years. And so you want to buy a home for that. Are you banking on the appreciation? Meaning, you know, you don't need the cash flow coming in monthly. You just want to turn around and sell this thing in five years and get 
X amount of dollars so that you can pay for college? Or do you need to cash flow monthly so you can pay down something else? And what does that cash flow look like? So I think in this scenario, if and if maybe you don't even understand what you need your money to do, yes, you need a realtor who's not only experienced in buying and selling homes, but who understands the return, who understands what a good investment is, who maybe has some a tax strategist in their back pocket that you can talk to as well, because you can you can rack up you know two hundred thousand dollars of appreciation and then turn around and sell that, and then what's your tax strategy? So, for me, yes, you need to speak with an experienced agent in investing who also is going to challenge you and maybe even make you feel a little uncomfortable about what is the plan with your money. That's true. That's true. But I also believe the person, the right person for the job. Like you said, also makes you feel uncomfortable, but they they also sway you different directions that you never thought was possible and opens your eyes to areas because maybe they're, you know, forecasting this area is going to perform based on commercial growth. Or maybe you came in and says, I want ABC, well, you know, XYZ work better. And so I think that the the realtor you work with has to be bold to say those words and not feel like they're making you angry because they're not accommodating to your ABC goal. Yeah. And I think, you know, for me, my my big picture is I'm more of a real estate consultant, big picture, right? Yes, my day-to-day activities are sort of opening, closing doors, analyzing deals. But for the biggest picture here is I'm a real estate consultant and my network spreads really wide. So if you come to me and your cash the money that you have today doesn't work in my market. I truly believe that that money works somewhere else in another market. So having that network to say, look, I understand prices right now are a little on the higher end in, the, in Austin and that's my area or Central Texas. However, I've got great referral partners in these other areas of the country that, look, this house isn't where you're living. All we're mm-hmm. trying to do is invest your money. So being able to also cast that wide net and go lead someone to another market that may be better. Hence, I ended up investing in Arkansas. My money went a lot further in Arkansas two years ago. Mm-hmm. So I have out-of-state properties, right? Right, right. And that's a good strategy. I mean, I feel like that's, you know, everybody wants to live and invest in Austin and say they have an investment. But like you said, inter- well, today, interest rates are high. And hopefully they're going to come back down. Property taxes are high. You know, a lot of people don't think of that property tax angle. We, I've talked about that on on future episodes of the series is, you know, you have to consider all like your, all the layers because if you miss a layer it could, you know, be a mistake at the end. Right. And if you're going to go, you know, right now, I think one of the trendiest investments for people are the short-term rental market. And what a lot of investors don't realize in their numbers is the the taxes that you have to pay for that business. So you have city, hotel, and state, depending on where you're investing. On top of your property taxes. And then you have the fees to own the property. So it may look great on paper if you're just, um, if your performance has, I don't know, five of the 10 things that you need to be looking at. So once again, someone who's experienced in that area who maybe even has performance, they're willing to sit down and show you, you've got to look at all of the costs that are going to come into this. So it sounds like kind of the takeaway for this is is analyzing backward forward. Like don't start with this is the what I want to end up with. Like figure out the why first and the the end goal first and then work backwards. 
Yeah, figure out what you want with your money. Like, what is your goal? Is it cash flow and how much and how quickly? Or can you do appreciation? And then taxes. You know, what is your strategy if you do need to cash out of this in a shorter term? And then the next part of that would be, you know, a lot of investors, I notice the newer investors, when I ask, well, how many deals did you analyze before you purchased this property, before you made this decision? And sometimes it's less than five. And that's pretty crazy. I really think you need to analyze, you know, more than 10 deals just to understand your options. Right, right. Yeah, because knowledge is power in our industry as we both know it. So let's let's move on to mistakes and lessons learned because we've both made, I mean, I own investment property, you own investment property. There's mistakes been made probably on both sides and lessons learned on both sides. So let's talk about what are those mistakes that you've made and those biggest lessons learned? You know, the, I think the mistakes that I've made would be one, one of the properties I own. So I, I don't really have any other options. So my only option for this property to work is long-term tenant. And so should I ever hit a lull or anything happens in that local economy and I can't get a long-term tenant, the return on that house is not going to be great if I turn around and sell it tomorrow. Um, it's not in an area that I can do short-term rental. You know, I just don't have any flexibility with it. And I, and it's older home. It's a 19, I think it's 1950s. So you really don't want that home sitting vacant. However, when I purchased it, my end goal was to hold it five to seven years and then probably put two two units on it for a new construction. And so from that, I learned always have a backup plan. And so after that investment, every every single one of my properties, even the ones in Arkansas, they have the ability to do long-term rental, short-term rental, medium-term rental. Or if I sold them today, I would actually be in a market that really supports that appreciation. So that would be my is do you have a backup plan? Well, and, and to do that, you really have to understand ordinances you have to understand what the directive or the direction of the the city is going and challenges that are facing because like you said you you don't want to purchase a property thinking you short-term rental it and not be able to and then you know what's the five-year plan or 20-year plan for the city look like that you're buying in because that can totally impact if you have to sell it on the fly yeah i think if if you're going to be an investor, especially in real estate, you have to understand that local politics will also be on your schedule. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing that I think people miss. Um, and I wouldn't say that that was a mistake that I made, but that was definitely something I didn't understand the magnitude of how I would have to understand local politics, especially if you jump into the short-term rental market. Yeah, because right now, m- m- I mean, there's a number of cities they're trying to just not allow short-term rentals, just put it that way. And or right. make them harder rentals. to or make them right. harder to be able to harder to get a, a um an approval for the short-term rental. Right. So I have properties in four different counties in two different states. And so that's so many layers of local governing that you have to understand and what's going on. So my suggestion there would be you know, make sure if you are investing out of state that your realtor is actually involved with what's going on. You know, can they tell you when this is coming up in the city hall meeting? When was the last time it came up? Because you're going to have local governing or local governing rules. Then you're going to have an HOA if there are any, you know, possible deed restrictions. 
And then what's down the pipeline? Is it on a future agenda? So, you know, I think that every mistake I've made, I've really learned a lot because I like making mistakes. It's totally fine as long as you learn from your failures. And that would be something that I never really thought I would be this involved in local politics. <laughs> Here I am. I mean, it's, and I think as a real estate agent as well, it's our job. Mm-hmm. No, it is. It is because I think that you don't realize how, how that political angle affects your future investment. I mean, there's, I mean, yes, and in investing, like you think of just traditional investing, stock bonds, you know, 401ks. There's not a hand in it on a daily basis. I mean, yes, if, you know, a, com- a company tried to merge and can or whatever, right, your stocks may go up and down, but it's not a constant hand of a third party trying to dictate how things are run. So, you know, I think back to the first duplex that we bought, you know, we were new. We didn't know. I mean, we were young. We really didn't know. We knew we had money. We knew we wanted to invest in real estate. So we knew that was the the goal. You know, we thought, okay, let's maximize our money and buy the biggest property we can buy with the biggest rent. You know, again, the that's the the, the desire, right? So bought a duplex and, it, you know, it was great. It was newer and, you know, we had tenants immediately and it was great. But the lessons learned is sometimes the biggest, you know, using all your money to one big property doesn't always fit the end goal, right? So you have to sit down and think about okay, where else could my money be spent? Could I, you know, divvy this up and like Diller has done and, and purchase maybe smaller in other cities where I could kind of spread my, you know, eggs around. I think that's where it goes into, you know, if you only analyze one or two deals, this is the perfect example. We have money, let's maximize it. Let's buy a house. Versus we have money, let's analyze the best use of it. Let's divide it in half and see what we can do with the two halves. Let's quarter it. Let's see what we can do. You know, if we divide this Mm -hmm. into four bundles and then let's go analyze deals, maybe even talk to one or two different people. And along along that, also having someone um, attack strategists, I think that's probably another mistake I made fairly, fairly early was I didn't understand how much I needed just a rock and roll CPA and accountant, you know, on my team, because I probably would have even made more investments. I think I honestly could have probably doubled the portfolio I have right now, if I would have started talking to CPAs and really getting to the nitty gritty of what I was doing. But back to your example, you know, that's, did you analyze one deal? Or did you say, look, I have $100,000 or whatever that amount was and analyze what I could do 10 different ways without this is the kicker without getting analysis paralysis. Mm-hmm. No, no that's true. Point, yeah. Got to pull the trigger. But that's why I say, if you've only come to me and as, a, as an investor and you've pulled five properties off Zillow and just say, oh, I know this neighborhood and my friend lives over there and this is how much it rents for and I think I could invest over here. I personally am going to say, no, come into my office. I'm going to pull up a bunch of Excel sheets and walk you through it slowly and just say, if this is how much money you have, let me show you two or three options and what we can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you because you really need to look at historical rents and you know future sales and you know historical sales data. Yes, we've had this upward trend because of this pandemic, but you know typically we don't have that high upward trend, so that's not our norm. So um, I feel like, like you said, this this data you have to dig really deep and see you know historically what one has sold for what versus one one hasn't. 
you know, when we've had those cycles, because we can go back historically and look at the cycles to see, you know, we had a cycle in 2000, 2006, you know, where did the sales go and where did the rentals go? Right. So, right. I mean, I think that you're always safe investing in real estate. I, you know, I don't ever want to scare someone. I just want someone to know, which is what I've really learned over the past, I would say five to six years that I've really started studying how money works is to slow it down a little and know that everything's at risk. However, it's, it's also okay to say, I don't understand what you're talking about. Can you, can you show me another example? Like if it doesn't sit well with you or you don't fully understand, ask that next question. And if you're, you know, your agent or your CPA or, or your, your financial advisor doesn't have the question, it's, I'm sorry, the answer, it's okay to not have the answer. Go find it somewhere else. You know, work collectively to get that answer and have an end goal. Mm-hmm. But don't get stuck in the analysis. I've had this come up a couple of times. I want to talk about this because this happens frequently is you have someone who wants to buy like a duplex or a fourplex or whatever. They want to live in one part, but they want to rent out the other side. Let's say it's a two unit co- uh, condo or two unit duplex where they're going to convert a condo and they, they can essentially short term their rental next door if they so chose to, right? Let's talk about that because what I've seen there is people come in and go, anyway, I have to talk about cash. I want to invest. And, you know, this is a great area. They're not looking at HOA dues. They're not looking at, you know, what are the rents getting? Like, what if you moved out of that unit next door and they became both rentals? You know, how much money would you be having on both sides if they were long-term rentaled? Versus short-term rentals, because short-term rental may not be forever. Right. And then what does your mortgage look like? And, you know, what happens if you need to sell this on the fly? Again, we're going back to what we talked about, but, you know, I'm just using a property type because I think that, you know, back to my example, I thought, okay, big is better. But I think there's just, I'm kind of going back to, there's so many layers to bring into the play you know, I had one client who wanted to buy on the on the spectrum of 1.4 for a two unit, you know, they wanted to live on one side. But when they realized that both units didn't even equate their mortgage, even if they Airbnb it, it may never do it. So, you know, even if you're, you're buying for your own personal to rent it out next door. Once again, going back to why, why is it that you want to deploy this cash? What do you want mm-hmm. from it? Is it you know, a monthly return that you need to actually see that cash coming into an account where you can spend it or are you building that cash up quickly to make another investment and or are you okay? Because, you know, there's some investors who get to a point where they actually don't need any more income because of taxes. Mm -hmm. They just want to bank off that appreciation. So breaking even, I have investors who are like, you know, I'm actually okay losing a little bit for the next year. I'm in a great position. So understanding what do you want to do with that money once again, analyzing several deals. And then the other part of that is, I think when you do this with duplexes and multifamily and you're going to live in a side or even you're going to rent a bedroom, you go buy a four bedroom house and you're okay renting a room, you know, house hacking works. You have to be committed to the strategy. And once again, how many deals did you analyze? If you're truly looking to be an investor, you are less emotionally connected to location, condition, you know, and maybe the way that you make the money, you're more attached to, am I the getting numbers. the cash? 
Right. You're right. So I do, I do have a lot of people who come in a situation that you're talking about where it's like, I want to duplex and I have this much money and I want it to be whatever. And, you know, this zip code in Austin, Texas. And then if you can't find the deal, like, you know, I'm firing you and I'm going to the next realtor. Look, that's not an investor to me. That is, you heard that that was a good idea from someone or you read the wrong book. That's not the best place for your investment. A real investor is going to just look for the numbers and do they work? They care less on the inside. They care more about the numbers. It's will the maintenance and the budget and the and the and the monthly output sustain from the input, right? And like you said, will achieve my goal, right? So, you know, I had an episode talking about emotions, and the investor is the only person that can take away emotions from a the true investor is the only person that can take away an emotion from a transaction. So, you know, what I learned from that is if you can't take an emotion, you probably shouldn't be investing. You're not yet ready to invest it. The past is in the mass. Yeah, true. And and that's, for me, that's the numbers. And I love working with new investors. Um, I love making people investors. And one of the things there is you have to be ready to be a student. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I... I mean, I have people come to me with, let's just say, um, probably one hundred fifty dollars to $200,000 cash, which I think that that's a lot of money for a lot of people. However, you can make one mistake there and no longer have that money, right? That's but true. there's also, you're willing to listen and you're willing to be a student of investing and listen to a local real estate agent who really knows the economy and knows the market. That money is, I mean, they can really do a lot with that money. But you have to be willing to listen and lose the attachment to the whatever HGTV dream that you had of, you know, going and flipping and buying and holding and whatever strategy for attached that to. That is true. That is completely right. true. You have to be so ready to be inspired. You do. You do. Um, and the other thing too, you have to, I feel like it's, um, a lot of the mistakes are made based on location. It's not finding the right property. It's buying in the wrong location at the wrong time. Yes, you can absolutely buy in the wrong location at the wrong time. And I, I feel like in Austin, because Austin is such a brand in itself, let's just take Central Texas for an example. You know, you have Kyle, Buta, Seguin, Niederwall, Bastrop, Elgin, all of these cities around it. And we could probably keep going for days that are still, you know, 30, 45 minute commute into the city that people moving here from out of Texas are used to making that commute. We just have real estate agents who don't go and learn these other economies. They may not have the the fancy label and, you know, neon lights like Austin does. However, there's plenty of people who will move to these surrounding areas. And that's where also great investments are. When I bought my property up in Taylor, Texas, four years ago, or maybe it's not, it might also be five years ago, everyone thought I was crazy. Why are you buying in Taylor, Texas? And then Taylor, Texas blows up due to Samsung. So look for those areas right outside the major cups. I still think Central Texas, even though our prices are where we are, I think if you're willing to not have the Austin label, you're going to do fine. I agree. And, you know, case in point, you know, the Woodlands right now has become an oil and gas hub in Texas. And so, you know, everybody wants to be in Conroe, Woodlands area. But what they miss is just north on 45, north of Conroe, north of Willis, into almost Huntsville. They're building all this massive development it's brand new. It's flashy. It's inexpensive. And the returns are bigger, right? Because the, the rental rate is 
rivaling what you're getting next door in these other towns because the demand for that oil and gas industry is there. So just like Diller said, look beyond. If you say I want to look, if you say I want to be in Austin, look within the vicinity, within the Metroplex and beyond. Right. And if you can attach yourself to what do you want the money to do for you? So let's just say I want to buy, I don't know, a new car or I want to buy something and whatever that expense is, it's going to cost me, let's just say $500 a month. I'm just totally making up numbers. Can you take cash out of a savings account and go invest in real estate and have that cash flow cover whatever it is that you want? Maybe start there if you don't know. If you don't have something as big as, you know, a car or I don't know, another house payment, that one's kind of a stretch there. Maybe just take off your, um, look at your spending and say, wow, I'm spending $300 a month on entertainment. I really like to do X, Y, Z. And this $300 would be nice if I could have it covered. Go look at your money and say, can I invest this? And can I cash flow $300 a month just to cover this? If you can start somewhere that way with a why... If you don't have a why, just look at your current spending and can you cover it? It's going to remove that emotional attachment or that, you know, physical attachment to I want a house with all of the fancy bells and whistles. Just look at what can, what is the puzzle that the money can do for you? What is, you Mm -hmm. know, that's true. That's completely true. Let's, before we move on from mistakes and lesson learned, let's talk about mistakes made. And I've covered a little bit of this in previous episodes, but I want to cover from your perspective is, um, mistakes made with just short-term renting, not, not, you already have the property, but you're now a short-term uh, owner who is renting out versus long-term. Like, can you think of some of those mistakes that you made as an owner on both spectrums and kind of the lesson learned? Like, oops, I won't do that again. So when we invested in Arkansas, they were both, they're both short-term rentals. There was a really big, um, Roar, I guess let's call it that at City Hall that they were about to pull permits and or limit permits. We were just really excited. It was really cheap real estate. I mean, I honestly, I think something like our property, we brought like $17,000 to the table and, and compared to buying in Austin, that was just like pennies, right? And so it moved really quickly and um, they actually, everyone involved in the transaction sort of didn't under, didn't explain a lot of stuff to me because they all made the assumption that I was a realtor. So I knew. Well, I knew nothing about the local economy. I knew that a lot of tourists were going there. Almost everyone on my Facebook had been traveling there. So that's why we went. When we tried to book our Airbnb, we couldn't get an Airbnb. And this was also like the first weekend that COVID was wrapping up. And I was like, wow, there's nothing available. We have to invest here. We were joking mm-hmm. around about the prices of homes. They were about 300000 300, less than what we thought. So we just jumped into this investment. And the next thing I know, you know, meeting the neighbors and just sort of walking around downtown, people were talking about the city council meetings and BRBOs were going to be limited. And you had to put a sign in your front yard that said, you know, this is going to be a VRBO. You have 30 days to contest it. And so here I was living in Texas, a little bit of panic, talking to two or three different realtors who this was so new to them. They also didn't understand what was going on. So there's a little bit of a panic there. We made it. Um, I actually helped organize a group that I just said, has anyone thought about talking to an attorney, you know, who's not from Hot Springs, who isn't involved in the local politics, who has experience with short-term rentals? And so we were able to chat with an attorney. They drew up a letter and everything worked out perfect. They did limit the number of licenses. So just really jumping into understanding 
what's going to happen in the next year with my property? Um, so that was a mistake, just not doing a, like front loading my education. Um, you know, the next part would be truly budgeting for a nice, like, like I think too many short-term rental owners get away with really crappy products. And so we went above and beyond. And when you go above and beyond, you can push your price point. You know, somebody may be staying there for the night, but really thinking about soap, shampoos, you know, how loaded is your kitchen? Um, you want to be able to push the price, the nightly price point. You don't want to be at the bottom of the barrel because it's advertising. You know, am I going to stay in a $59 a night Airbnb or am I going to stay in a $150 a night Airbnb? Um, what all are the amenities that it has? And then also taking into consideration, how much does that cost me? How much does it cost me to fully stock my Airbnb monthly as well as the cleaners? And then what's my cleaning fee? And where do I rank within the rankings on VRBO, um, Airbnb? So playing around with that algorithm as well, because you, like I said earlier, when you're when you become a realtor, you also become involved in local politics. When you become a short-term rental owner or landlord, you become, you know, involved in short-term rental, or I'm sorry, in local politics. You also become involved in marketing. It's 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 a lot. I mean, I feel like that's what a lot of people see. They see the dollar signs, but they don't see the work behind the dollar signs. Right. I mean, we had to fully furnish um, two because we bought two in Arkansas. We had two fully furnished four bedrooms. They sleep eight people, right? Mattresses. And is it better to buy kings or queens? And I'll tell you, I made the mistake of putting queens in some of our properties. And then it was less than four months later, I was buying king beds because they rented out better. So the rule that we we discuss is beds and heads. So that's how many beds and how many people can you sleep, right? And understanding all of that versus I saw this on HGTV and now I can do it. Because I think a lot mm. of people think they're great designers, right? Or oh, I can decorate. People walk in my house and they love it. So I can own an Airbnb short-term rental. No, you can't. <laughs> Short and to the point, but it's not the same. And so my wife and I really balance each other out. And I'm so thankful that she's a part of this because I'm more the numbers and analytical. And yes, I can get into like overanalyzing it. And she's on the other side. Just give me a budget and I'm going to make this all work. And so I didn't really have to jump into that decorating side. But the monthly cost to hold an Airbnb or VRBO, you really need to look at it. What does your bathroom have? What does your kitchen have? You know, you're probably going to be replacing sheets every two to three months. There's just a lot of in and out traffic. And you mentioned marketing. So like marketing, even though it's on Airbnb and VRBO, it's it's not the only marketing, right? I mean, there's marketing no. else there. Yeah, you have your, you're going to have your photos. You're going to have, um, if you want to do social media and the time spent on all of that. And then if you're going to go out of state, more than likely. So we were, we were lucky for about a year and a half. We had a local realtor who helped manage our marketing and our properties. And then we had to move over once she had a kid. We had to move over to a marketing company, which, you know, they're taking 10% out of the nightly rate. You also then have to realize is that 10% gross? Is that 10% net? Is that after the, the rental fees that the platform is going to charge you. So there's a lot that goes into that. And I don't want to scare anyone. I just want to say, look, front load your idea with the facts and have a backup plan. Both of ours in Arkansas, if we wanted to, we could go pull all of our furniture out and rent them long term. Yes, because they're in a market that would sustain that. Yes. And our property taxes less than $50 a month. So we don't have a lot of additional fees if we were to go long term. Mm hmm. And if you needed to on the fly, you could probably sell it. 
Yeah. So in Arkansas, what we what we've learned is you can sell it. The the license is transferable depending on you know. There's a few extra steps. However, you know, like in Travis County here in Austin, you cannot sell your permit. In mm-hmm. Arkansas, there is a transfer of permit. Um, and one thing I want to make sure that everyone understands too is there's a whole other level that we are talking about. Is do you set up an LLC or some type of business entity to run your short term rentals? Um, that's all a protection situation. You don't have to, but that's another layer to understand. But you can't sell. So if I, in Arkansas, if we're booked and you're like, Pandiller has a great Airbnb, I want to go buy it from her because I'm selling it. You don't get all of my bookings. You have to restart. Yes, right? that's true. You can't transfer profiles. You can't transfer the fact that we have 400 four-star reviews and we're a super host. And I think a lot of people see that and they're like, oh, I'm buying a full-on operating business. When you buy real estate, that has been used for an Airbnb or a VRBO, you are not buying a business. You are still buying a house. That's and a good point. Needs to That's a good point. Understand. Most people don't think that, right? They think, oh, yeah. it was a v- it was a Airbnb for, or short-term rental before. It can be one again. But like you said, just because it was before, you still have to get on the, the application process. It doesn't mean that you're going to get um, approved. And I spoke with this um, with another realtor in the state because he does a lot of helps with investors in the uh, Fredericksburg area. And he says whenever he lists his homes for sale that were previously short term rental, he doesn't even mention that they were short term rental because of what you just said, because there's no guarantee that next owner is going to get approved. There's no guarantee the next owner is going to get approved. And there's also let's just say you don't buy it fully furnished and you are restarting you know, what is, what does your design look like? Like our Airbnbs tell um, a story. My wife has really spent a lot of time making these almost if her and her best friends were to go and stay the night, it would just be like they were at our house and having their, their party, like uh, cheese boards, cutting boards, blenders, like everything you can imagine, we can just go there and live. So if you don't convert it and do the exact same thing, you're probably, or service your clients the way that we do, you mm-hmm. might not have the super host status. You might not be able to charge the nightly rentals that we are. You know, it took us a while to rev up. And so you have to just be really careful for that. And then from the time that I purchased it and had the time to build my business, to build that Airbnb up or VRBO, what has the market done around me? Because did someone else say, oh, the neighbor did that. That was a great idea. I'm going to buy one. And then someone else buys one. And so when I bought one, there might have been three Airbnbs in the area. And now there might be, you know, we're talking three years later, there might be 15. So right, what is your competition? competition? Mm-hmm. My mm-hmm. ranking is going to be a lot different than yours. So when you're talking short-term rentals, I would just also make sure when you're discussing with your real estate agent or your advisor, there's two things to look at. You're not buying the business. You're buying the real estate. If you have the opportunity to somehow partner and buy the business where you become co-host, you need an attorney or someone else to write up an entrance and exit strategy for that agreement. Um, as real estate professionals, not all of not all realtors deal in the area of helping you know buy and sell businesses or even understanding what that looks like, and maybe they've never even been a host before to understand what that platform looks like and what that transfer looks like. As a real estate agent, my advice, you know, for other realtors listening is lose your ego, find, find a team that can help your client achieve the highest success possible. And if this is an area you want to operate in, I would hope that you're out there buying Airbnbs or short-term rentals or, you know, investment properties yourself so that you can go through that. 
it's almost like when you buy and sell your home yourself, you see what your client goes through just just to buy and live, right? You know, I've heard yeah. a lot of agents say, oh, I just went through my client went through and now I get it because they had never gone through the process. Well, when I flipped my first home, a few agents kind of giggle and they're like, what do you mean you... I, I've to some level I paid an agent basically to help me. So I hired and partnered with Patrick Birdsong. He's a local agent here in Austin, and his products were just amazing. And I said, "Look, this is all the cash that I have right now to do a flip. I love what you're doing. You know, can I can I invest X amount in this project? Here's all the work I'll do. I don't expect to get paid for this. You can be the real estate agent on the deal. I just want to be an investor and learn the entire process." You know, and so I brought in someone just because I was a real estate agent and I had sold flips. I had worked with investors on flips. I had never actually had skin in the game. So Patrick and I moved on to do three or four until I felt comfortable saying, all right, I've got this. I can go do this on my own. And I'll tell you what, um, I think it was probably after the second one, my outlook on flipping totally a 180. And and, and that's the same thing for my short-term rentals. You know, buying the one in Austin and then the ones in Arkansas. And now I have seven down in Wimberley. Wimberley was the most expensive one, but the best because I had failed forward on my own. Mm -hmm. So what changed from perception from when you started with Patrick to now when you kind of get your footing? I think it was less like go, 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 get it done, get it done to more slow down, have a little bit more cash and reserves do everything right. There's no band-aids. Everything will get uncovered. Because even if they don't uncover something, and, and we did incredible flips, we had incredible contractors, we had all of the right insurance and inspections in place. You still go to bed at night thinking someone is buying this house for me and I want to deliver the best home that I can to the next person. And so I think just that like, slow down, really dive deep into this. We analyze deal after deal after deal. You know, we just didn't say, oh, that's a great neighborhood and that's a cute house. We can go put subway tile and paint. We really wanted to do it right. So going back and slowing down and also having that cash saved up, allowing mistakes. Contractors are going to make mistakes. We gave we give our contractors, I think, a lot more grace than other people do. We treat them like they're our front row employees. We pay them well. We take care of them. And we don't look for bottom of the barrel because if you Mm -hmm. go bottom of the barrel and your numbers are so tight, your end product is going to showcase that somehow. It is. Well, and I, I always say this, I hate this analogy, but it's the best analogy for a flip or an investment who now is being sold, right? It's the lipstick on a pig approach, right? So I don't know how many homes I've walked into that someone has bought and they're investing and they're flipping and they're they, you can tell it's like you said, they put subletail up and countertops in and put, you know, floors that look terrible in, but they haven't tried to make it someone's home. And I think right. that's what you're saying is like you're you're putting it in almost to the to the point where you could feel comfortable living there because it's the pride that you're taking and what you're doing. This is a long term game, right? Any any real estate investment is a long-term game. And I know people are saying, well, no, I flipped a house and you know I made 50K and walked away and it was over. No, it's not. Then you're not a real investor because you didn't have a plan for what to do with the 50K next and then next. And then where are you rolling all of this into, right? So it is a long-term game. And then also mm-hmm. when we put products out there on the market, which is why I went to talk to Patrick Birdsong about being his partner is 
people were calling me complete strangers saying, I, I saw on Instagram or Facebook or wherever, one of those birdsong properties, do you sell those? And I was like, what are you talking about? That he had built such a great brand through his marketing and through the quality of his flips. People were now looking for that. And then for me, you know, after doing three or four flips with him, the cash that we were able to make and then reinvest has allowed my wife and I to now have, you know, the 15 doors that we have and we're still going. Yeah. Right. The, it's kind of a, a methodical shove your ego aside approach, right? Be humble in the process and it will all work out right. and you'll, 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 you'll benefit from it long-term. Right. A hundred percent. And right. you know, Patrick and I too, a part that not just for Patrick, but in general, this big picture here, when you're going to start investing, you need to find partners that you trust, partners that you're willing to be honest with and transparent with. And that that relationship goes between investor and real estate agent, you know, being very transparent with them and where is the money coming from? What do you want to do with the money? What is your timeline? Um, being patient with the process because for me, the more invested I can be with someone and the more I understand your goals... I work harder. It looks a lot different. I trust you. You trust me, right? You you know that if mm-hmm. I come back with bad news, it's for the it's for your interest, not because I'm trying to sabotage the deal or something. Um, and so the relationship that you build with your team is very important, all the way down to you know the guy running over and adjusting the doorknob. You should treat him the same as you treat your top investor. That's true. That that's completely true. I mean, because then they want to do more for you and take pride in your product just as much as as you do. So let's talk about common myths. Let's kind of pivot a minute. Is there any common myths regarding real estate that you can think of that you kind of haven't really talked about, whether in um, regarding short term, long term investing, flipping, any kind of investing? second home, doesn't really matter, that you feel like that you're constantly dispelling this mess? You know, I don't know if it's necessarily a myth. I do think it falls into this. But um, when someone talks about, you know, an economy being in a bubble, Austin's in a bubble, so-and-so is in a bubble, that may be true to some degree, but where do you fit in that bubble? Mm -hmm. Right? I think right now for some investors, uh, the pandemic made what I like to call an accidental investor. I think it allowed a lot of people to get money for really cheap, go out and do really crappy flips or purchase really, you know, homes they shouldn't be, should not have been purchasing. Um, sell for a lot of money. And, and sell then, for a lot you know, of money. Austin's in a bubble. Austin's in a bubble. Well, if you go back and look at, I guess, let's just say really, I started filling in August of 2022 up until here recently. You know, a lot of those people who didn't understand hard money deals and wholesaling or um, tra- the, the travel industry, their Airbnbs or their flips are not doing great. Someone who went off, you know, and purchased these homes and they, then they took forever because money was cheap and Austin was um, in a bubble, they're not doing great. Not everybody won. No, so no, because we've, we've had a recovery. We've had a recovery as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. So be careful with the economies in a, a bubble. And, and it may be, but does, that, does your goal fit inside that bubble? You know, I remember back to back 2011, 2016, when we had, you know, the, every, after, after the mortgage fallout, everybody wanted to move to Austin because Austin sustained, right? So back in 2008, nine, Austin performed and everybody wanted to move here. And I remember back, telling clients, whether they're buying for themselves or investing, it didn't really matter. 
And they were putting what, 30 to $50,000 into it above list price, right? They were they're like, okay, well, we have $50,000 in our pocket. Well, you know, we'll bring that to the table. I was like, you're going to sell this. What if you have to sell it on the fly? You're going to, you're going to take a loss here, right? So, you know, I see now that there's some people that are selling their houses now. Um, and I'm going to talk about the investment side of it. Nobody anticipated because we've we had this long history of kind of sustainable taxes, right? They just kind of ebbed and flowed, stayed at kind of a relatively um, modest amount. And nobody really anticipated property taxes for investors to skyrocket nor values to skyrocket, right? So a lot of owners are now like, I can't even charge enough rent to sustain the mortgage and their property taxes, I have to sell. Now you're selling at a loss. And so you have to think about that future. That brings up another myth or misconception is, you know, my vote locally doesn't count. We have votes coming up on property taxes or um, I guess local taxes. You know, I I feel like it's really important that we all show up and we all vote um, and you really understand how this is going to impact you. But on on the same side of that, I actually send my tenants a short email of just like, hey, you know, like, don't forget it's it's time to vote because this actually impacts you as a renter. I it get does. that you're not a homeowner. Um, and so, and I don't push politics on them in, in terms of the way that I want them to vote or anything like that. I do just send a gentle reminder. That's a good idea because like you said, it does affect them because their rent's going to escalate as a result, right? right. And they're, or they're not going to be able to buy as a result. Right. So one year, you know, it's it's not a crazy number, but to me, it was meaningful. In Travis County, I believe I have, let's see, I think there are seven renters total. And, you know, that that to me, hey, you guys, maybe you will go and vote and then maybe you'll tell someone like it's a small number, but it still makes a difference in my opinion. And I just put mm-hmm. in there simply, you know, this is this impacts local rental or local taxes, which therefore impacts your, you know, your rental rates. If you have a second, here are the times to go vote. It's a good idea. Everybody should do that. (laughs) Yes. I do think, you know, the myth of like, um, there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can do about my property taxes. Um, Fighting them doesn't work. And I forget the stats. You may know this, but I know like in Travis County, they did um, a report at some point of how many homeowners actually went and voted, I'm sorry, went and protested their taxes. It was so low and it does. It make was, it was really low. Yeah. Right. So it does make a difference even if you just file it and use one of the online companies. Um, I've had great success using all of the online companies because it's still better than nothing. It, it is. And I mean, you're, I mean, you're right. I feel like it's a big mess of, of not getting um, intertwined into, you know, voicing your opinion. Um, but I also think that the one of the biggest myths in real estate when it comes to investing is, and I think we should end with this one, is um, what you see on TV really doesn't exist. Yeah, you have to take such a deep dive into your micro market, um, depending on where you want, you know, how you want your investment to look. So, you know, CNN, Fox News, all of those channels are just really making headlines, right? They're, they're trying to give mm-hmm. viewers. And then the next level is probably going to be maybe your local real estate paper or whatever blogs you're reading. You know, go and find those blogs that have actual boots on the ground in the county or the city that you want and then go and talk to them. 
we haven't really touched on it, but also, in my opinion, finding a local lender. I feel like that can be your blessing, like in a transaction. Yes. I don't care how much, you know, whatever your rate is and how great your rate is with uh, whatever Rocket or Rate.com or these bigger companies. And then, you know what? Some of them actually do have boots on the ground locally. Like at least find that loan officer to say, hey, how many deals have you closed in Austin, Texas? How many deals have you closed in whatever, you know, Williamson County, Hayes County? And so they're also going to understand the trends that the agents are doing. You know, we didn't even touch on that, but the agents sort of run the markets too with the trends and the way that they're navigating the market, navigating and negotiating deals, writing contracts. How are they winning in the local markets? So yeah, keeping it really, really local. That is, a, I feel like a great way to, to end that little segment. And then the last thing I want to talk about is, is there anything additional that you feel like we didn't talk about in terms of what a consumer would want to know or need to know? in terms of investing, mistakes made, um, lessons learned, just informational. Yeah, I think um, the hardest part for a lot of people is to actually get started. Um, And I think also there's the information like we just talked about, you can go to bigger pockets and these bigger websites and start gathering information and it's a little overwhelming. So first of all, I don't think you should ever pay to go to some real estate investing conference and then try to start, you know, donate or I don't even know how they work, but, you know, just giving money away. You know, how do you get started? You go and you talk to, I don't know, five or six realtors. And I don't even think it's an interview. I think it's simply just a conversation. What do you think of the market? Where are investment opportunities? How much money do I need? And just start small. Set yourself up forever. And maybe once a week, I'm going to have a 30-minute conversation with someone about investing and then say, okay, by X amount of calls and interviews, I'm going to actually do this. But you have to start. Don't try to start big. And this is... I'm speaking to people who just never made an investment before. Start small. Start interviewing local realtors. Find someone that you feel comfortable with and create a plan. Write it down. If you're a medium-term investor, you know if you have a few investment properties, um, go ahead and actually do this. Stop and have someone review your portfolio. Have someone look at your money and your investments differently. And is there anything that you can move around or what is the, in their opinion your next best step? Next best or, step. Or see what you need versus what you already have. Right. Um, sometimes, you know, it, it, the system may be working, but with the market changes we've had right now, like I don't think it, that same strategy probably works. So, That's um, true. you know, once again, going around and, and believe me, realtors, you know us, we all want to have meetings. I mean, that's kind of our monthly goal, right? Is how many conversations can I have daily? So we want to talk to you. We want to look at your portfolio. We want to look at your deals. Um, and we may have a deal that works for you. So having more conversations around what's going on. And then the last thing, you know, learn a little bit more about money. Learn about how money works. Not how much money you have and how much you don't have, but how it works. Learn how, how you can, I say, always invest that money the smartest way possible to achieve that goal of maybe growing the money to build that next transaction. Yeah. I mean, a fun game I like to play sometimes, small group people just say, look, we all have $100. How are we going to spend it? And if you go around the table with five people and use $100, they're all going to spend it differently. But ideas are going to get flowing, right? And then you can go up... Um, and that's what I'm talking about is how does money work? Because we all use it differently. Very differently. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, yeah, very differently. 
Well, I think we've covered a lot, Diller. I mean, we've, I think some of our high points were choosing a realtor that really understands investing in local ordinances. Find your end goal first, your why, mm-hmm. before you even get started. And, um, you know, set that ego aside and understand that it's a long haul process and it is a process that you want the best of the best, regardless of where you're at, right? It's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take a while. For sure. Well, Diller, thank you for everything that you've shared. Um, I know that the listeners will be uh, greatly appreciated for all of your intel and all your information. I, I know that this has been very enlightening for them. All right. Thank you. So if you should have a real estate investment need or want to just reach out to Diller after listening to the episode because you think she's amazing like I do and want to pick her brain around uh, about investment, investing in or out of the state, um, her contact information will be found in the show notes. So I would like to express my sincere gratitude to all of our listeners, whether you're listening from the comfort of your home or on the go. I hope today's episode of Urban Connect has been informative and valuable to you. If you've enjoyed the show, I would be grateful if you consider to follow or subscribe to our podcast as your support helps us reach a wider audience and grow the Urban Connect community. If you have any comments or questions about today's episode, feel free to contact me directly at jennifer at urbanconnectpodcast.com. I value and appreciate your feedback and I'm always open to hearing your thoughts and suggestions. Until next time, I'm Jennifer Archambault and I look forward to connecting with you again on the next episode of Urban Connect.